everybody. Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. We are talking today about season two, episode two, The Circle. We are in part two of a three-part series. Mike, how's it going? Keith, it's going great. Uh, the second part of any three-part series, we all know the middle part of that trilogy is the best part. It's when things get dark. It's when we don't know if we're going to make it through and see the other yeah. side, much like the start of every podcast we do. Uh, but I'm excited to be here for the circle and glorious 60 frames per second. Yeah. <laughs> we are... Uh, wait for our computers to crash yeah, again. Yeah, I smell the smoke as we as we talk already. Mm, mm, mm. That's it. That's okay. it. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. <laughs> so, well, here, well, so here's the question, because we... The the circle ends in a pretty big to be continued. Were you able to restrain yourself from uh, continuing on? Yeah, absolutely. I knew that right. I, I was excited about the conversation. I knew that uh, we would have all the time in the world to talk about it. And the next week will bring the stunning conclusion. All right. Well, you know, I think that speaks to a level of professionalism we have yet to demonstrate on the show. Or laziness. Well, that too. That too. Well, folks, uh, speaking of people who are more professional and less lazy than us, let us thank our patrons, who you can find at patreon.com slash K and M. Spell out that and. You get all sorts of fun bonus materials, including watching Mike watch the circle. So if you want to stop this right now, join the patron, then go and watch Mike watch the circle. You can watch his face as he watches the episode, you can watch the episode while you watch his face and uh, see all of it happen right there in front of you. It's pretty, uh, like I've said before, it is oddly entertaining. Mike, who are our patrons this week? Keith, as always, we welcome to the clan uh, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, CloudLover69, Jorge Novoa, and the mysterious Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, and Charles Babbage. Thanks for being part of the team. You can join them. Once again, at patreon.com slash K and M spell out that and. Yes, indeed. Uh, this week, we uh, we released Star Trek The Wrath of Neener. The, oh my. That, yeah. Oh, yes, that that is what you get to watch. That's, that's, see, that's perfect. That is exactly, <laughs> if you join the Patreon and watch Mike watch Deep Space Nine, this is what you can see. So, you know... You don't want to miss that. Keith, I've what? I've entitled this week's episode of uh, Mike Watches Deep Space Nine and in turn this review as it's getting you making me bajorny. <laughs> uh, Is that okay? Can I say it? <laughs> Mike, it's 11.22 in the morning. It could be 11.22 p.m. for our viewers. We don't, you don't know. But 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 for me, I'm speaking of my own experience. It's only eleven o'clock in the morning. It's a Saturday morning. It's a beautiful day. Uh, all right. Well, uh, anyway, so uh, check out Star Trek: The Wrath of Neener uh, in your feed. Oh yeah, yeah. The, absolutely. Uh, the, this time, the, the fan film I made uh, in 1992 in my basement with my little brother. It's finally available to everyone. Uh, out there because we hit our 500 subscribers very exciting uh you can do us a favor if you haven't already join the legion of 500 subscribers and uh subscribe to our channel get all of our nonsense you can also leave us a like even if you already are subscribed 
Uh, and comment below. Like we, it, The best part of the show is the conversation that we have with you. So I think we should talk about this episode, shall we, Mike? Let's do it. All right. So this episode is Deep Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 2, The Circle. And it aired on October 3rd, 1993, uh, coming up on Halloween. Then I was uh, very excited. October 1993 was my favorite NFL football season. Okay. My of my life. I'm a New York football Giants fan and a Phil Sims obsessive. It was his last season, had a uh, terrific comeback season. And uh, so I remember every game of the 93 season for reasons I do not understand. But we were listening to, uh, I, I can't wait, can't wait to hear the flawless rendition we're going to get of uh, Dream Lover, Mariah Carey's Dream Lover, while Mike figures out his uh, his exposure. He's going to, he's going to figure out his exposure and sing some Mariah Carey at the same oh, time. There we Let's go. Hear. That's much better. Um, what is, what is it? Dream Lover again? Dream Lover again. Dream Lover. Guys, my exposure is really bad. It, I look very bad on TV, and I'm sounding even worse. Please cut it. Cut my feed. Cut my feed. Thank you very much for that. That's a thing that we all now have, perhaps as your ringtone. So uh, just clip it out. Make it your ringtone. I think that's a winner. The top movie was Malice. Ooh. Do you remember Malice? Give me some stars. Who else was in that? It's an Alec Baldwin, Nicole Kidman film. Okay. Written, interestingly, and I had I, I was surprised by this, written by Aaron Sorkin. Oh, yeah? A pre-West Wing Aaron Sorkin wrote Malice. So I'm very curious. I don't remember if I've seen this movie. I probably haven't since the 90s, but uh, I don't know. That's, that's a good combo. I'd love to see what Aaron Sorkin yeah, was working Sorkin. on in 1993. The New York Times headline uh, talks about trouble in Russia. Again, riot in Moscow amid new calls for compromise. So uh, glad Russia has sorted out their business mm -hmm. as well as mm -hmm. we have sorted out ours here in this country. This episode was directed by Corey Allen, who last directed Captive Pursuit, which uh, was one that I enjoyed. This episode was written... By Peter Allen Fields, who wrote Duet. Yes. We love okay, with, great. In solid. In 100 percent in with Robert Hewitt Wolf, uh, who wrote on In the Hands of the Prophets, also a good episode as the story editor. So now I think it's time for some trivial trivia, Mike. We should absolutely do that. Now Keith, waste your time. With Trivial Trivia. Okay. Got some, I was going to say fun stuff, but just some stuff. I got some stuff for you this week. In the scene in Kira's quarters, um, where everyone comes to say goodbye, that scene was actually shot in one continuous take. But in editing, they intercut a bunch of close-ups and reverse angles. Uh, but I... I sincerely wish they had just shown us that one single take because it's a really funny little like drawing room farce a little bit it's like a play yeah i was gonna i pointed that out as well i felt like that was them giving us i it almost felt like a pastiche of typical 90s sitcom fodder of the day the back right. and forth the sort of getting them all in the wide shot and then the, the over the shoulder cutting i thought it was very much 
that vibe. And it, it it definitely felt like they were playing with tone and that it was purposeful, which made it that much more funny, I thought. And, and it seemed like the the actors were playing. Yes. I, I think the actors really enjoyed the challenge of doing that all in one take. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we'd seen it. Yeah. So uh, I also felt like it felt it felt oddly earned. Like the the cast has developed such a rapport with one another and, uh, that they earned that sort of repartee and that we would buy it. Um, it was much more effective than some of the other comedic beats we've tried in episodes such as the one with Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. Well, you know, Star Trek doesn't always do funny well, uh, but when it does it well, it's character based, and uh, and this is how that works. Okay. So uh, number two. Stephen Macht, who plays Krim, was actually considered for Picard before huh. Patrick Stewart got the gig. I think uh, I think they made the right choice. Which one, I mean, which one is he? Who's the who was that? He, he was he's the general that uh, Cisco goes to meet on Bajor. Oh, huh. okay. He was great. He's excellent. I don't know if no, he's... I mean, absolutely no shade whatsoever to yeah. Stephen Mock. He's a perfectly good actor, but Patrick Stewart. I mean, yeah. Come oh. on. Let's, let's be on. honest. Let's be realistic here. All right. Next up, the model for the Crissari freighter was built for the next generation and used more than 20 times as various ships. They would flip it and turn it around and spin it and try to make it look different by just flipping the damn thing all over the place. And uh, because, Mike, you realize at this point, every ship you see is an actual physical model. This yeah. is before CGI. Including including the station. That is a big freaking model. And uh, so those are expensive to make. So the Crisari freighter, they just wisely made a generic looking ship that you can, uh, you know, what was that? Like pull it and pop it and bip it and bop it? Yeah. Was that? Bip, uh, pip and pop? <laughs> pip and pop. Yes, exactly. So they were able to pip and pop the uh, the ship to be many different ships. But they did save that money, Keith. On their uh, every time we go to Bajor or the monastery, we got that we get that beautiful matte painting. That ba- well, that was also expensive, you yep. know. So uh, Resu- we, reuse, uh, reci- reduce, reuse, recycle, reuse, renew. Recycle. Yep, we are. We you know we're very green here on uh, on Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Uh, all of my Coke cans are diligently recycled. So, uh, lastly, Beryl's name is misspelled in the opening credits and on this note that I wrote. So, uh, (laughs) because, you know, I can't spell, but I wasn't doing the opening credits for a large television show. Uh, All right. So, that is trivial trivia. Let's talk about what's the, the next generation doing this week. Yeah. And uh, the next generation this week was doing Gambit Part One, uh, which is uh, a fun little part, a two-parter. This is in season seven. Picard goes undercover. We think maybe he's dead. Lots of exciting stuff, which also features Bruce Gray as Admiral Chakotay, who we will see in this episode. So uh, I think he was in for the week at Paramount, and they used him in both episodes you know keith i think next week uh Mm. because i like the context of what was happening in tng but if i recall what what was big in my house around Mm. this time period was the old and now younger viewers probably not that many on our demo but for those people who don't know there used to be a thing called um the tv guide and the tv guide would tell you what was important in television 
and what you should watch, right? Yes. So uh, I think that maybe next week I'll do a little bit of digging, and when you present uh, what was happening on the TNG, I'll just give us maybe a broader scope of what was happening on television, what was important oh. that week, what was being pointed out. Uh, I tell you, you know, now that we're not doing our other show, Mike is like inventing segments. He wants to record six episodes of Toys a week, even though we're stacked up for a long time. He's bored. He's, 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 he's bored. He realized he doesn't have many other friends. Folks, if you're wondering, if is Mike lonely? Yes. He's inventing segments. No, that's not true. It's kind of uh, true. Well, you know, we, we, we podcast a lot, so obviously... That's sort of what that's a, what that's based. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Bruce Gray as Admiral Chakotay. Chakotay, do, do you know uh, why that name also might be important? Um, it, it's sometimes like where I go to get lunch if I want some bad meat. Boo. Boo. Well, folks, if you want to give Mike some bad meat, you know he's lonely. So... Uh, so anyway, yes, so on Voyager. Chakotay, I can't believe I said that on the internet. <laughs> every week. Every week it keeps keeps getting worse. Mm, keeps getting it worse. Good. It wasn't good. Let's move on to guest stars. What do you say? Yeah, please. So uh already mentioned Bruce Gray as Admiral Chakotay and Stephen Mocked as Krim. We also have Richard Bamer back as Lee Nollis. We have Philip Anglin back as Barile. We have Frank Langella back back as Minister Jaro, and the return of Louise Fletcher as Vedic Wynn. And the good news is, is we get uh, we get one of them back with 100% less clothing. We do, yes. Uh, a lot less clothes, clothing for... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Burial is like, is very thirsty this episode. So uh, I think that's a great way to uh, say, let's talk about the episode, shall we? Let's do it. Ah, that delights me every week. All right, so here we are, season two, episode two, The Circle. After our first previously on, yeah. now Mike, do you know who does the voiceover for previously on Deep Space Nine? Uh, is it, um, you know, it's not familiar, but I, I couldn't remember. Is it the voice of the computer? It is. It's Major Barrett. Yes. Of course. Uh, so that's cool. And it, cool. it's our very, it's our first one. It will not be our last. Um, but, uh, we don't we don't get a lot of those in Star Trek, at least in Next Generation, only for the two parters. But we're going to get that a fair amount. So, uh, Minister Jaro doesn't understand why Cisco is pissed that Kira got fired. And uh, Jaro, he does make a decent point about Bajor's autonomy in hiring and firing, but then pretends that Kira's being promoted. Cisco doesn't buy it for a second. So. Uh, in the scene, they both make it very clear that they do not like each other, and it is a it's it's a fun little like I hate you, but I'm not going to say it scene. Mm -hmm. um, I also liked a, I liked the awesome placement of the baseball because they're both sort of you know sort of the pitcher's duel right here. They're both staring each other down. They're doing the the stare off. I think he grabs yeah. They love the they love the fondle those balls on this show. 
I already had that joke written. Oh, in there. I gotcha. Beat you. <laughs> we are just terrible people. <laughs> oh, man. Never give Mike time to prep. <laughs> Mike, you're turning into me. Yeah, you know, it's when we started be this empire, we're like, what? What's happening? Oh, I'm here. All right, whatever. And now like, <laughs> I've got all this stuff going. Yeah. Wow. All right. So Jaro says that the circle is getting more powerful and violent, and he makes a vague threat towards Lee Nollis. Then he fondles Cisco's ball. Then uh, Jake calls and uh, shows that their quarters have also been spray-painted with the Circle logo. They got a discount on the yellow paint. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, I, I, that scene between uh, between Len, you know, Langella and uh, Cisco. I, I just love seeing like good actors mm-hmm. hate each other on screen. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have... Uh, yeah, and also, like, it, it's funny how, you know, Frank Langella... Uh, in context, he, uh, clearly he's uh, seems to be a pretty terrible person. But um, it's funny how someone you you start to just buy someone's type. Tom Hanks is a great example. You sort of just like buy into yeah. it. You don't really. This episode's a great example of why he's not usually hired to play like the goofy dad, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? He's really a pretty specific. Frank what Langella he does. in Mr. Mom. Yeah, like him as uh, in as the, yeah, right. He, he's very specific at what he does. Um, they're not really sort of like playing that he's not a bad guy in some way. You're sort of waiting to see exactly what it is. Um, clearly, he has some political aspirations, but as will turn as it turns out, he uh, maybe maybe there's more to the story, Keith. Yes, and how could you possibly have guessed? Yeah, <laughs> we only basically fade out from him directly to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so in Act One. In what I wish they had kept as a single unbroken shot, we see everyone come say goodbye to Kira. Uh, also, I'd like to point out how amazing the ceiling height is in her quarters. Oh, yeah. She got those vaulted space ceilings. That's like, it's, I mean, it's got to be at least 12, 14, 16 feet ceilings. But, you know, she got, she got good quarters. But also, actually, this is a great way to see this shot. I noticed that this shot was also incredibly flat and brightly lit mm. because they were shooting it all in one shot and they had to be able to move the camera around and still have everybody be lit. So you couldn't have those like cool little pot lights and the dark lights here and there. Uh, so they had to just light it like a stage. Folks, what we call that is a full wash. Full wash, indeed. Uh, yeah, so uh, first up, Odo accuses her of surrendering. He says she's not following her own personal code and ignoring the rules, and he's very upset. Um, and of course, I think that sort of we're getting a little bit more hints, like like you said, why well, the scene works because of the the track we've laid with these character beats. Mm-hmm. So we know that Odo and Kira's relationship is is special. They have they have a longer standing relationship. They have a we saw it early in the series. And all the way through, we know they have a connection that is a little deeper and older than some of these other characters. So that's why he's pissed. Uh, Next up is Dax. And she returns some lotion. And uh, Odo is still pissed. Then Bashir shows up. 
and who's just there to wish her good luck because they haven't really had any scenes together yet. Uh, next, it's O'Brien. O'Brien doesn't have much to say. <laughs> and we are starting to stack up characters in our farce. Then Quark shows up with some synth ale. It's becoming very chaotic, uh, but fun. I mean, look, th this really does, it's staged like a play, mm -hmm. right? Because they're, they're all facing downstage. Look at O'Brien. O'Brien's like, I, this is not comfortable nor natural, but I, I just. I can't move my arms. I can't move my arms. We just arms. noted that it's like 18 foot ceilings in this huge open expanse of a room, but we're just, let's get as close yeah. as we can. Yeah. Every, everybody turn 45 degrees. Ooh. That's what, you know, but Colin Manius has plenty of stage stage work in his uh in his i saw him in uh, a moon for the misbegotten way back on on broadway like a million years ago with uh <laughs> with kevin spacey <laughs> so that went well ladies mm. and gentlemen now introducing grown-up daniel larusso oh oh wait Dan no <laughs> <laughs> yes he's going to do the crane kick of course it is vedic Baril. And uh, he comes in looking all like, hmm, what's up? And uh, she makes a point of introducing all of the people in the room as her friends. Was he this thirsty to last time we saw him? Well, he he was like, I I put it this way. He was thirsty, but like he, he was setting up deniability. Okay. So you know how you were like, hmm, I'm thirsty, but like, Oh, I'm just sort of reserved because I'm a priest. Whatever, whatever. But I'm not super thirsty. Now he's like, yeah. So that's that's. I mean, I guess, I guess this is after the prophets showed him some saucy right. bits. So he knows that's he has right. some context that we don't have yet. That's that's true. He's like, we are quite literally fated to be mated. So ooh, that's, uh, that's trademark Keith Varney, folks. No, no, that's from something. Oh, well, very great. That's from something. Hey. It's from some boy, the just the incredible, <laughs> incredible searing commentary you get here. Uh, yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash K and M. You want to pay for this. <laughs> Even though it's free. Drop it like flies. Oh my god. Uh so Burial points out, and <laughs> getting more serious. Uh, Braille points out that there are more weapons on the street now on Bajor than during the occupation. Then, of course, he asks her out. I mean, to hang out at the monastery. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's clear. Later, Kira takes a stroll through Ops one last time. And the set looks fantastic. And in the background, uh, closing time. One more <laughs> call for alcohol. So finish your rockachino. Rockachino. Well, well, that was so close. I'm gonna rock, rock a Gino. <laughs> I'm gonna roll, roll a Gino. Great. <laughs> you are gonna lose your, you're gonna lose your two privileges. Okay, I'm allowed one more this episode. Okay, that's it. But we're we're only in Act One, so really think about. We haven't even got to the scene where he does that laugh, which is in this episode. That's true. Wait, what is the drink uh, that I'm trying to think of called? Rock to Gino. That was Rock pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, it's close enough. I mean, it didn't deserve the scorn you threw at me. <laughs> Rock throwing... to Gino. 
look, scorn is what 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 we do here. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So she uh, she's sad. Kira be sad. She's sad. And I, I love those pulsing lights that were behind her. I didn't notice those before that sort of look like the the warp drive as it sort of cycles up. It looks cool. Yeah, there's two really cool. This is one of the really cool shots in the episode. There's another really wild one they try that we haven't seen yet. And I didn't I couldn't get a screen cap of it because uh, I mean, maybe one day if I get crazy, I'll get some video in here. But um, there's one shot a little bit later in the episode. I don't know if you noticed it where we'll get we'll get there and I'll, I'll remind us. But the camera's backing up its POV style and it gets onto the lift and then someone's talking and we see it go down really fast. The camera's on the lift going down and we see that yeah. we've never seen that before. And it's it's wild and completely inconsistent thematically or tonally with the episode. But regardless, no, kind of like cool. That. I mean, you're just. It's yeah, because we don't do a lot of POV shots. Yeah, but it's a wipe to the next scene, so they use that. They kind of use it as a cross, a cross dissolve. But it's it was cool. I didn't find it jarring. I really liked it. Anyway, uh, where were we? So Lee Nollis shows up, and he apologizes to her and says he never wanted the job. Didn't try to take it from you, and she admits that you know, frankly, at the start, I didn't want the job either. He asks where a Navark fits in the command structure. And Cisco comes in and smoothly says, as I understand it, you report directly to the prophets. But from time to time, I may ask you for your help. Dude is a phenomenal leader. That so is good. such a such a like classy and sophisticated and face-saving way to say, I'm in charge. Yeah. And this is a great shot but, of that, actually. There was some great, great blocking in this episode. Yeah, I just I love how Cisco handled that. That was so cool. Uh, then Kira gets ready to leave, but Cisco says, I'm going to get you back. And that is how we end act one. Well, and he says something better than that, actually. Um, you know, speaking of his leadership, but also his friendship. And it's a line that we've talked about. It's difficult for him to walk and it's difficult to write sometimes, but they do such a great job in this episode setting this line here. He doesn't, it could be kind of, I don't want to say mansplainy. It could be kind of like pejorative if he was just like, I promise you, I'll get you back. Because it sets him up as the hero. Um, right. And like he's doing her some sort of favor. But what he says is, I promise both of us that I'll get you back. Which is basically, basically mm. setting up that like, not only do I want you back for my, um, because you want to be here, but because I want you here and because we need you. I thought that just the way that frame, he fra they framed that line was really was really smart. Well, it's it's good writing. And it's and it's good character work. Again, this is uh, Peter Allen Fields who wrote Duet, and you can just see that like sometimes good writing is about those that extra word in a line yeah. for both of us, or or what it, like that like those two little couplets there are just the difference between good writing and great writing. Uh, all right, so in Act Two, we head back to Bajor, and Kira is building a dam in the stream at the monastery. Barile shows up, and they discuss the metaphor. There is uh, no hair gel down here. No, none. No, it's not necessary. She's building the uh, she's building the dam in a stream because she wants to flood out the uh, their beautiful gardens. Um. Uh, also, Kira looks weird in a dress. She's in sort of like a like a dress here, and I'm like, huh, doesn't feel right. You know who doesn't look weird in a dress? No, Barile looks perfect. He looks exactly how he should look. Until he takes it off. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, he's uh, he's one rope pull away from just being in his... He's got a, he's got a quick release. 
for the full Bajor. Yeah. <laughs> um, he keeps hitting on her. Mm -hmm. He's looking for that quick release. Am I right? <laughs> he sure is. Oh, God. This is terrible. Keith, I want to hit the button so bad, but... No, no, you are not allowed to hit... The, you have one left. Look, you have... The rules are, you have one left, so make sure you're really satisfied with your joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Yeah. CEO Jen's bringing me a coffee. Wait, I don't think CEO Jen, has, CEO appeared, Jen. has appeared yet on uh, this show. I, I don't think she has. I don't know if the camera's going to pick her up, but... The CEO of... KMM Empire. She's bowing. Just know we'll uh, we'll introduce her in some segment. But uh, yeah, this that's right. She holds she, she holds the purse bottom. strings. She sure does. Uh, anyway, so Kira confesses that she has no artistic skills and she feels useless. And he encourages her to explore to explore it. By it, I mean the orb of the prophets. Mm -hmm. It's the third orb, the orb of prophecy and change. It's a big moment for Kira. Because she gets and to go into a new set they built. They they built this new well, I wonder if that's the same set from the pilot, but they didn't go down through like the the really cool like staircase hidden in the uh hidden in the in the water. This one's just like sitting out there for everybody. So I don't know why they had such good security. Probably didn't want to do the VFX shot, but I really liked the, the shot from the pilot going down through the fake uh the fake water thing. Anyway, it's a big deal for Kira, of course. And uh, she opens it and is zapped into Prophet World. Now, she has... you know what I thought of here? And I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to give you the trivia, Keith. And if you don't know it, then we're going to leave it. Somebody can, in the comments can tell us. But this reminded me of, and I'm just going to sing the song. You got the touch. You got the power. You know that reference? Is that, uh, is that from the Transformers movie? Nailed it. Yes. Yep. And uh and also um Boogie Nights. Yes. Both the Matrix of Power. That's uses. what the Matrix of Power is what makes you a leader of the Autobots. So uh this basically Kira's getting well, it's it goes a different direction here. It becomes a wet dream, but you know. Ew. Uh I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just saying you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh she's, she's such a great actress. She's amazing. Uh, she's zapped into the, I mean, think about like from, from the standpoint of the actor, right? Okay. We're just going to shine a blue light in your face, mm -hmm. have like a life changing experience on your face yeah. to like, there's literally like a dude there, like holding a light bulb in her face and she has to give that performance. It's amazing. Uh, she has a, vi a vision and in friendly and menacing faces, the prophets say, listen to them whatever that means. Uh, then she full on gets it on with Burial. So, uh, so that happens. It's I mean, fun to this was a one frame. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, yay. Okay. Yay. He's, he's cute. Oh, God. And I'm new. Oh. Uh, but this is better. <laughs> this is great. Oh, God. Oh, my love, my darling, I've hungered for your touch. Let's move on to the next deal because now I'm uncomfortable. Still this man. Feels I need. I need you to go on to the next. Thank you. All well, right. Is this where we wanted to get to? Because it's where she wanted to get to. This is where she gets uh, off, Keith. Ew. I mean, she gets off of the prophecy trip. 
<sighs> Come on. We started this. Get your mind out of the gutter. We tried to aim higher for this show. We have failed. We knew that that was we knew that was going to happen. All right. So act three begins and Odo is on a zoom with a buddy on Bajor who says that the provisional government is going to put troops in the streets. Uh oh. Uh, I don't know. Did you get a shot of the screen? Oh, you said it disappearing. Sadly, that cool screen that comes up out of his uh, his desk there. We're never going to see that again. So I'm guessing the VFX was a pain in the ass. So, but I thought it was really cool. Quark then shows up and says it's over. He can smell where the winds are blowing and thinks the whole thing is about to fall apart. The provisional government, the Federation. And he says the circle has enough weapons and supplies to support an army, um, which I, I think is a really interesting way to, to handle this because Quark of all people would be able to smell where the winds are shifting uh, first because he's sort of one foot in the underworld, one foot not. And uh, when he's concerned, like I, I, I'd be concerned mm-hmm. when, uh, uh, and of course, finding out there's so many weapons down on the, uh, on the streets. Well, and, and course- I think it's, it's great to use him because not only does he have his foot in the underworld, which I think is great. And it's, it's a great, tool for Odo here to kind of sense mm-hmm. where the winds are blowing, but Quark, of all people, would be the one who would want to keep his business and keep it running to the bitter end. He would not abandon ship. He would stay with that casino as long as it was making money and being profitable. So, him willing to just up and abandon and leave, you know that there's some sh- some ish happen- going down. Yeah, yeah, and it's all very Casablanca. Um, the, uh, the weapons, of course, gets Odo's attention. And Quark says that the Krasari have been supplying the Circle with weapons. And Odo tells Quark to find out the plan. But, of course, Quark wants to run. So, Odo then uh, deputizes Quark, which is uh, which is fun. It's cute. And Quark's uh, response, Keith? No, this, this is your time. Oh, does it count if I'm just explaining? I get all right in context. Okay, fine, fine. It. It doesn't he count. says you're deputized, and Quark goes, "Us work together." <laughs> Great beat. That cutting off of the laugh is like a classic. It's like next to a spit take. It's a comedic mm-hmm. staple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As well, you know, uh, Quark's sarcastic Comedian? laughter is great. Uh, so yeah, uh, Odo says if Quark won't help, he's going to throw him in jail. So then in ops, Cisco announces that he's going to Bajor because he's hearing they may, there may be a coup. Now he also says coup in such a mellifluous voice that it makes it sound lovely. There's going to be a coup on Bajor. That's, that's how we, it's, it's a really... Uh, specific way to say that word, but he does it twice in this episode. Uh, Lee Nollis asks if he can help. Cisco asks for intelligence. They decide to inst- uh, to put in a curfew and assign Nollis a bodyguard. So they head back to Bajor, and uh, Baral subtly, subtly admits that uh, they get it on in his orb vision as well. And uh, they hear gunfire in the distance. Then, dun, 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 Vedic Wynn appears. She is awful, as always, 
and clearly picks up on the vibes going on between Baral and Kira. Uh, so this is a great shot of uh, two people who just um, explored their physical relationship and their parents uh, caught them. Uh, and the girl in this situation is saying, no, nothing happened, Mom. We were just hanging out. But the guy's face betrays <laughs> betrays the scenario. I I mean, yes. And I read it as, all right, so you're you're on that date. Right. And you you haven't you haven't crossed that bridge with your partner yet. But um uh, you're 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 eating you're eating your dinner, you're getting to dessert, and uh you 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 give that you start tucking around that conversation and they're like, Yeah, it's happening tonight. <laughs> and that's the face you're you like, make as you finish as you finish your dessert. <laughs> oh boy. We're just eighteen year old boys, aren't we? Eighteen? Well, I was I was trying to keep it PC. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But then anyway. mom walks in. Ah, yeah, mom mom walks in and and she's like super condescending yeah, about like, it. Mom, did you have to wear your cone hat? <laughs> <laughs> mom, it's a weekend. You don't yeah. You have to dress like the Pope today. Jeez. You're not even the Pope yet. So uh anyway, uh Louise Fletcher is amazing. So good. She's so good. She makes my skin crawl and it's just great. So uh in another part of Bajor, almost Picard, General Krim is giving military commands when Cisco shows up and we see what a great set they've built for Great this. set. Now Keith, maybe it's just the imagery, the clock imagery or this because that looks sort of like a watch face, but doesn't that kind of give you vibes of that clock, that weird clock Cisco was building in that one episode? And dramatis personae, right? It does. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cool, and and obviously from from a production standpoint, it it looks like they painted onto a onto a gel and lit it from behind. That's obviously not a digital screen, um, and I don't think it's a projection either. I think they actually just painted onto a gel to make that map. It looks amazing. That's cool. It's it's really cool, and for a one off set like. Really, and and then the the opposite shot. I don't know if you have it, but um, when we see uh, see the the opposite side of that room, great set. Anyway, uh, Cisco says that some of the military forces are unwilling to fight against the Circle. It's all very insurrectiony and way more scary in 2022 than it was in 1993. We'll talk more about that later. Um. So uh, Cisco tells Krim that the Krasari there's are that, there's that shot. There's that shot. Yeah, I mean, look. So good. look at the. I mean, the the steps going up and the lighting is always amazing, and the like the walls on Deep Space Nine are never flat; they're always at angles, and always lit. So it's it's just so you're telling me that that's potential. That was like that was understudy Captain Picard. That was understudy. That well, he was on the list. There are a lot of people on the list, but he was one of the people. On the uh, on the list for Picard, um, they, and they give oh, yes. they give they give Cisco another incredible exchange in this. In the he, yeah. they really gave him some nuggets of of leadership here. It's, he's really kind of owning it now, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I I I love Cisco in this arc. Um, he uh, says the Crosari arming the circle. He then asks to get Kira back. Krim says, eh, "Go to Jaro," 
Uh, but he does appreciate that Cisco didn't try to trade the info about the Krasari for a favor of uh, getting Kira back. Um, and you can see the the gel behind him. I'm, I'm assuming that's a painted gel. I guess it could be like a slide that they blew up. And it kind of looks like sort of like a satellite image. Like a satellite. That well, I, I think that's what it's supposed to be in canon, is mm-hmm. that he's looking at satellite images of the city in the battle. But I don't know. I know. It looks looks great. Uh, so we head back to Ops, and Linalis and Dax are stalling the Krasari that they think are doing the arms shipment. They're searching his ship for weapons, but they haven't found anything. The, uh, the Krasari's makeup, again, is great. And I wish we saw more of that because like, that's a really cool, I mean, look at the detail on that. That looks so cool. Yeah, it is cool. Um, yeah, they spent, yeah. that's so that's so much money. You'd think we'd have, get at least they gave him a close-up. So much money and so much work. And I, I don't know if we ever see that, that, that whole thing again. Speaking of, uh, I'm sorry, this is a non sequitur, but I'll take this moment since you mentioned, you mentioned it. You know, you brought up on the show a bunch of times, um, uh, Armin Shimmerman's uh, just how much time he spent in the makeup chair. Yeah. And recently he was interviewed. Did you read this article? They interviewed him and asked if he would come back to Picard or to Discovery or one of those shows. And he's like, I'd never do a series regular again because it was just too much. The makeup was too much. He goes, but if they did want me, he goes, they'd have to give me that Michael Dorn money. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty yeah, clever well, comment. No, they should give him, give him a sting money. Uh, all right. So deep cut for wrestling folks. Uh, all right. So, and the, and the Krasari guy is in a hurry to get out. They can't, they can't find the arms. And he's like, I got to get out. I have some sensitive herbaceous materials, which, um, weed. I, my, my, my co-host is an expert in, uh, <laughs> in that. So uh, also in the scene, I like that we see that the view screen is a hollow projection over a wall as opposed to a big screen like it is on next gen. So because they don't need they don't need to build a screen in you because uh, it's just a hollow projection. I don't know. It's a cool little detail, a, a cool VFX shot um, on the ship. O'Brien is still searching. Dax calls him and tells him to give up without telling uh, the Krasari that they are searching for weapons. Naturally, we see, uh, if you go back one, that Odo has attached himself to a box. Then he turns into a rat. Uh, That's good and gross. Uh, It's also very unclear here, the rules of Odo's mass, right? Like density and mass, because you you would think if you can't create or destroy matter, that is the either the most dense rat you've ever seen that rat weighs 200 pounds or the odo is it explained later so explain me this yeah is it explained later that he can only exist in one entity like can he let some of his arm goo go and become a rat and he stays in the bucket elsewhere or what that is a very good question it's not really answered specifically but i think based on the the series he has to be one thing Okay, because um, that would explain it. That would explain can be it. anything. But no, he he, he can't just because otherwise you could just put like ten little odos, ten little quirk. You're a jerk. Just running around. So we can't do that. So uh, anyway, we go to the gardens, and Cisco tracks down Kira, who is daydreaming on a rock. She tells him about her orb encounter, except for the horny stuff. 
He says that he hasn't given up on getting her back and that the fighting is getting closer. And he's not convinced that the military is going to back the provisional government. He pieces out. Then Kira is abducted by the masked and robed dudes from the circle. Uh, yikes. And that is the end of Act Three. It's crazy the, that they the, didn't I, just get Cisco too, but maybe that would have been too much. That would have been like that would have raised Federation alarm, and they don't want to do that just yet. I think that's probably it. But yeah, that would make a, a great deal of sense. They want to know what Cisco's up to. Just take Cisco. But well, at this point, you know, I'm I'm marveling watching the show because you know we talked about it in our last podcast. You know, it's about the practice or just courtroom dramas. It's it's difficult to tell multi-layered stories in in 45 minutes less. Yeah. Um and here it's very easy and some of the other arcs we've done in the in this show specifically have been very like black and white, good guy bad guy, good political person, bad political person. Right. The guy in the hood is the guy who did it. So here I'm loving this tale. We can talk about the echoes to like present day uh, later. But in just just the in the fiction, it's very multifaceted. It's it's not just the uh, the the Bajorans, ba- bad Bajorans, good Bajorans. They, there's there's points to be made. Um, they're they're distrustful of the Federation's this sect. They're distrustful of uh, they don't the occupation. But then they end up using the occupiers the occupiers in order to help further the goals. Blah 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 blah. There's so much cool espionage is the word I keep using. Um, because it's like uh people playing tricks on tricks using this, you know, right. It's so multi-layered that I'm just like, it it makes up a little bit. Remember last week we were like, they tried to do too much table setting last week when you would have liked a more focused sort of escape. I think that would have, I doubled down on that thought because they do all of the great sort of political intrigue, political espionage intrigue here that now we're really cooking. And at this point in the episode, I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm in on all levels. Yeah. Well, and you also get you really get a sense of the uh, the rising stakes, mm-hmm. right? You know, you, you like you're here in this beautiful garden, but you hear gunfire in the distance. You hear explosions <laughs> happening, and it's like, oh, this is real. Like this is actually like like really happening, and it's it's getting a little scary. Are we gonna get uh, an action sequence, Keith? That would really put it over the top. I, I think we might. So, uh, in Act Four on the Krasari ship, Rat Odo discovers that the Krasari are working with the Cardassians. So, uh, and cool, you know, the, the the visual effects they were able to do in 1993, that beaming effect, like, yep. it looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the transition into the rat, less so, but the beaming effect looks amazing. Fat but, rat, uh, the fat heavy rat. rat photo, that's right, the 200-pound rat is, uh, is there finding out stuff. So uh, we head into the Circle's headquarters, which... Uh, what a, could you imagine? It's in the cave set. We've seen a million different times. I really wanted it to be on a diagonal slant. Oh, that would have been so cool. Uh, but, you know, moving the floor is a lot harder than moving the walls. Yeah, just tilt the camera, baby. Yeah, there you go. I'm talking, six, like I'm like talking 60s Batman style. <laughs> I mean, that's a great idea until you have to shoot for 12 hours yeah. and all the actors have to stand like Keith, that. who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy? And I hope that the bad guy just stands right in front of the symbol like a complete, just like, villain. Will they do it? Yes, <gasps> oh. indeed, yes! We see the circle is 
Minister Jaro. And he is behind the coup, and he's still got more yellow spray if paint. If only he had a maniacal, evil henchman Speech? laugh. <laughs> there you go. It's all over you're, now. You're, you're on a timeout now. No, that was it. I got my last one. That was it. That was your moment. Okay, fair, fair enough. So Jaro makes a very uh, Hitler-esque speech. Caught him monologuing. Like, like post-World War post-World War One uh, speech about the Bajorans being powerless and needing to regain their power and autonomy. Um, you know, very, uh, you know, history repeating itself. Jaro thinks that Kira might be willing to be on his side. He offers her the station if she helps them kick the Federation out. He tries to get her to tell him what Cisco will do. And of course, she won't. And he pulls her off to be tortured. Uh, they learned that from the Cardassians. Uh, this is a bit of, I mean, I guess it's important what he, what Cisco's going to do. But I, I don't know if like, this is a lot to sort of, track down and abduct somebody and torture somebody to speculate on what somebody else is going to do. Like, you know, like if you, if you tortured me to find out what you were going to do, I'd be able to guess, but like, I wouldn't know for sure. I don't know if it'd be, I don't know if I'm worth being tortured. Well, well, I, I yes. Okay. We could talk about that wormholes, I guess. But the, the things I did like was if you remember this writer wrote on duet and in duet, right. We learn a great deal about the political tactics of the Cardassians, um, and it's so great to echo that here. Like it, it, we all the stuff they did, you know, to like get information and during the occupation, and then the fact that we learned a little bit something here. But they give Langella the the the, the opportunity up front to try to maybe sway Kira because. Remember, she was a she was a war fighter, a, a freedom fighter, and she could sure. she should align with some of these principles, right? Um, she's purely she's shown that maybe in the beginning she had some kickback about her role on the station and whether it was even appropriate or going to be helpful or if she could trust the Federation. So it's all plays in. I mean, we know what where she's going to go, where she's going to side, but it it tracks that he would feel this way, and then. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely worth a shot from his point. This of is view. when I just think the plot the plot device and the the sequencing and the, and the and and the writing is so strong because and then when we find out the kind of what's going on with the Cardassians Cardassians uh it's even it's just over no. the top. I just love the plotting. No, it's 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 great and and we're we're sort of going through the authoritarian playbook here and it's really uh prescient. So uh, Plus, we I think he's just a little evil, right? I think him wanting to torture her is is a little evil, but it also shows the respect they have for Cisco, who's earned it by this point. Like, I think they want to know what he's up to because if they there's anybody who could a... stop it, I think he, they think it's him. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's uh, and he also represents the Federation. The Federation has the ability to step in for sure. Will they? We'll find out later. So on ops, our heroes try to figure out uh, who took Kira. And uh, Nellis, of course, offers to help. But uh, Deputy Quark shows up to save the day, and he tells them he's found where the Circle's headquarters are. And they hop on a runabout for a rescue mission. Nellis, of course, wants to come too because he knows how to fight, if not how to be a political leader. So they uh, immediately hop into the runabout, 
and as I understand it, that's like a seven-hour trip, but we, we're not going to address this here. Uh, they have a long, I hope they have a bathroom on the runabout. That's all I'm saying. Um, they beam into the caves and hear Kira screaming. Cisco calls for a straight-on assault, and he hands out communicators. The idea is you pin a communicator on Kira, then O'Brien can know where she is and beam her out, um, which is... Uh, you know, I've always thought that the machinations on this were a, a little bit the the power of the sensors, the Federation sensors, are uh, either super powered or underpowered, depending on what the uh, what the story needs. It's kind of like uh, kind of like Troy mm -hmm. It's either wildly overpowered or wildly underpowered. Um, but this it, gives us it's true. I do like when sometimes they'll be like they're they're miles off a planet they're like we've got heat signatures we can tell there's people over here blah 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 blah. but then in some episodes it's like if i just take off my communicator no one will find me anywhere like heat signals sometimes they'll be like hey it's it's bob smith from uh you know and he, he had this for lunch and he's really <laughs> upset about his dog like <laughs> but he left his communicator in an elevator and so we lost him he's lost him he's <laughs> no idea so i, I don't know whatever um so uh the fight begins, and Bashir, yeah, she looks rough. Yikes. Uh, the fight begins, and Bashir finds Kira. She looks pretty bad. Instead of putting the communicator on her right away and then beaming out, no problem, uh, and untying her hands when they get on the ship, where they're not like, pew, 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 he unties her hands first, which, of course, gives them time to be attacked. Uh, but they are able to beam the survivors out um, and uh, get... Kira, all of our heroes survived, but naturally the nameless Bajoran officers got redshirted. So, you know, that's, that's just what's going to happen. So we head back to the infirmary, and Kira wants to get Lee Nollis to the Chamber of Ministers to talk to them. But Odo shows up and announces that the Cardassians have been supplying the Circle with weapons. So this is this is where we find out where all these guns are coming from. It's the Cardassians. And most importantly, the Circle doesn't know it's the Cardassians who are supplying them with weapons. Do we do we assume that or do we know that? Because my feeling for the plot, and I'm just guessing because I don't know, is that mm. maybe they do know. Because if he's as bad, if Langell's as bad as all that, then maybe it's kind of mutually. No, I guess they. I guess not because the, what would the Cardassians have to gain if? If Federation was gone, I mean, clearly, maybe they just they both want war to see. Well, I mean, the the Cardassians have a lot to gain with the Federation being gone, um, because they the Cardassians left the occupation because they not because they got kicked out or the Bajorans won or the Federation kicked them out. It was that there was nothing left here to exploit, mm. right? So they're like, all right, this isn't worth it. We're we're getting out of here. The Bajorans are annoying and they're blowing us up. So they left, Federation comes in. Then what changed was the wormhole. The wormhole is the most important thing in the entire like sector. Like it is gi gigantically important. So now the Cardassians definitely want to go back and take over the occupation. So that's what they're trying to do here. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's, that's what's happening. Um, so uh where was i so um yeah russia if you can hear me 
the Cardassians want the Federation to leave so they can come back. That's what I wrote. So Cisco tells Dax to broadcast a message from Lee Nollis to the Chamber of Ministers. Um, the of, of course, the thought being that if he can talk to Congress, he can calm things down and they will listen to him because he's Lee Nollis. Um, Cisco, uh, we did that. Uh, but of course, all the frequencies are jammed because the coup has begun. Coup. The coup. Oh, the coup has begun. Uh, back on Bajor, we find out, of course, that Minister Jaro is in cahoots with Vedic Win. Maybe more than cahoots, Keith, if you know what I'm saying. They might, they might be knocking they, kaboots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, bad Mike. <laughs> you, you, it was yours. You earned it, buddy. <laughs> uh, and of course, he says the future belongs to me. Nothing ominous about that. She lights so many candles. She's that's what she does. She's got her little candle goober there, and she's <laughs> just uh, you know, that's that's her job today is lighting candles. Which orb does she have back there? I th I, I think that is also the orb of prophecy. Oh, there's like multiple orbs of prophecy? No, no, there there are multiple orbs, but each one of them does a different thing. Right, but the prophecy one was in the other chamber. I think it's the same chamber. Is this because, the same place? Yeah, because so... so oh, you're right, the That's Vedics there's the door. Live, yeah. The the Vedics live on a monastery altogether. So uh, so Baral and Wynn live on the same complex. Gotcha. Uh, so that's that's what's happening. So uh, he says, uh, so Jaro asks Wynn for her public support. She's obviously in cahoots privately, but wants uh, he wants her public support. They both want to return to orthodox values. Uh, so uh, they, they want the same thing. And he trades her public support for him for making her Kai. It's a deal. She's like, I don't know if they're going to vote me in to be Pope. So I'm going to, uh, I'll help you with your coup if you help me become Pope. Yikes. So it's a, it's, it's a great scene. And just two like great villain actors doing great villainy stuff. Great sequence um, here. Yeah. And, you know, and great, great lighting and, and set design, especially with that amount of uh, budget they're working on. So we head back to the station. Now hold the, on. Where's is that shot against is that a backdrop back there? Uh probably. I mean yeah, it's it, probably a, a flat, probably a map painting. Yeah, right. It's not a green screen because the exposure is so like the exposure is so well done in post there because look, the, the high sunbeam there would like overexpose him, but it's just really well I mean, lit. I guess they could do it green screen. I don't think so, though. They wouldn't have been able to get the four. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Does anybody know? I don't, I don't know. Definitely feels like a flat out there. But. Well, whatever it is, it's cool. Yeah, it's rad. So uh, we head back to the station, and the assault vehicles are on their way to Bajor, or the assault vessels. Now, I do have a question: like, whose assault vessels? Yeah, because the Federation they... said they weren't coming to help. 
No, no, no. It's it's not the Federation assault vessel. These these are the people doing the coup. So are they they're Bajoran vessels or are they Krasari vessels? Are they Cardassian vessels? I'm I'm unclear. Um, bad guy. Let's just say bad guy vessels. The bad guys, but it's a, it's a big problem. And Cisco uh, talks to Admiral Chakotay on his compact um, laptop. On his compact laptop, exactly. It takes a while to boot up, but uh, it's got a webcam in there. It's also, a we- but it's also a weapon. It's very heavy. Very heavy. I had I I had a compact. Yep. Ooh, yikes. Um, Chakotay tells him that the Prime Directive applies, and the Federation cannot intervene in an internal civil war, even if the Cardassians are involved. So, uh, yikes. He tells Cisco to evacuate Starfleet from the station. And Cisco wants to pull all Federation materials out first. So, basically, he's like, we can get all our people out pretty quickly. But Cisco's like, nah, we got to take everything. We got to take all of our, our compacts. We got to take our, our flat screens. We got to take all of our toys uh, so that they're going to still be there when the assault ships arrive. So that's ballsy. Uh, he's putting that's that's a huge risk he's taken with his crew. Yeah. Uh, well, and he's been told to pull out, but he won't. And it's it's a uh, here we go. It's going to set up a pretty exciting part three, Mike. That. And uh, so that's the circle. I think it is time for Mike's vocab quiz. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. Okay, Mike, your first word is synthale. Um, that's something that... Uh... Uh, we're sharing at the bar. It's like if, if they run out of rock to Gino, we got to get a synth ale going. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know what and they what always re- say? Like rock to Gino before a synth ale, puking in the pail. Synth ale before rock to Gino. Uh, as sweet as vino. Uh. <laughs> Stuck the landing. <laughs> it feels yes, wrong. No. Am I wrong? Well, synth ale is is a little bit murky but basically it seems like the federation just took the alcohol out of alcohol so it is no fun whatsoever and nobody wants synthale okay uh but i would imagine like can't you have the the alcohol properties and just get rid of the hangovers like that sounds like a better plan all right so your next piece is word is herbaceous materials sensitive herbaceous materials that's uh, that was the cover that our what was his name the Crustinis? <laughs> Crustinis. They're delicious with pintail. <laughs> the Crustinis were were transporting some herb ale. <laughs> That's what was in the ship. I don't know. Oh, God. All right, let's time to come along home. Let's come along home. (laughs) Okay. 
we have done the Alamoremis. We are here at the bar. Let's get some synth ale. It's going to be delicious. Uh, first up, let's talk about uh, were there any wormholes in the plot? I mean, I guess you've got one. I'll let you. I'll let you pick that bone uh, when it comes to the the bad guy plotting. We we felt the same way last week. We're like, why did they have the moving rocks? And here it's like, why would they torture Kira? It's like you can kill her if you want, or if she doesn't give you the info, like what's the point of having kidnapped her? Right. That's the thing. They didn't really like try too hard to get her. Did they really think she would join this their side? Because otherwise, maybe that's what you should kind of like try to spend more time convincing her of that. Because you could use her as an Agreed. ally rather than just like sending her straight to torture, which definitely will not uh, align her to your cause. So that's a little a little weird. No. Yeah, that's a, that's a little weird. Other than that, I'd have to say for as kind of complex a plot structure as this is, with as many kind of levels as there are, it's pretty clear. Yeah. I don't see many. Many things. The only thing I would question, and and I don't know uh, Ben's sort of ultimate plan yet, is why he would risk if 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 the if the threat is as dire as it seems, a lot of weapons, a lot of explosions. Well, why he would risk his whole crew, the whole station? Uh, he better have a good plan. That's my only kind of like that seems a little bit risky for Ben. But Ben likes to uh, he likes to walk the line. So I don't know. I feel pretty good about wormholes this week, Keith. Yeah. Well, I mean. Look, there's there's uh, the the risk is in just leaving, mm -hmm. right? Because then you it's tough from the from the standpoint of the Federation, right? Like I get it, you don't want to intervene in a uh, and, and, and maybe this is the wormhole for me about about this. I mean, yes, the torture thing we talked about that, but the Federation pulling off of the station so as not to intervene in an internal civil war. I totally get that. I also get that the um, the Federation are there as guests of the Bajorans. The Bajorans own the station, and the Federations are, are sort of there as a guest, but they haven't officially been asked to leave. Mm -hmm. And if I'm the Federation realizing the wildly important strategic importance of the wormhole, until you tell us to leave, I'm sending in a thousand ships to hold that position at the very least. You know, let, let the coup happen, let it sort it out, and then negotiate what to do. I don't pull out. Like, I'm like. And also, they, they dismiss the Cardassian involvement so quickly. Now, granted, I know that happens in our own geopolitical situation all the time, whereas, okay, the wars between these two countries, but they're clearly being supplied weapons by uh, like a ghost nation, us. Often, of the, usually more yeah. often, yeah. But yeah. but it seems like the Federation would be more apt to explore the uh, motivations of the Cardassians and like how that that ram the, the, the how that would play out if we give them power back of Bajor or their potential attempt at. Well, they, they definitely don't want it. I, I guess like the the parallel here here would be an embassy, right in a in a country that's having a civil war or a coup. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you can't just like surround the embassy with tanks and, you know, risk further conflict. Do you know what I find interesting, though, with the exception of the, I guess, the, the one Vedic and then is we don't, there's not a strong voice of the provisional government in the, in the whole plot here. Well, that's Jaro. That's the thing. Oh, well, I guess I see him still as a stand in for the sort of, so like who's, well, 
but he he and this is where like our parallels start to come together, right? Jaro is the president. Okay, but and, then and but then riddle me this then as far as your wormhole about the federation. Yeah. Is an internal coup really a civil war? If one if one half of the government isn't aware it's coming? Like if if let's say in our geopolitics, if we had if we knew, right, that uh one of the warring uh let was taking uh a... yeah was actually trying to su subvert the whole government and blow it up from the right. inside we had we we i feel like we would probably have some sort of engagement in that well but engagement on diplomatically yes but are we going to put troops in canada i guess we don't I really mean, know what the federation's I mean, doing on the backside politically I mean, obviously, like the you know, there's no reason to like talk around the parallel here. Mm -hmm. Like Jaro's Trump, he's the current president, doesn't want to leave, and stirs up radical extremists within his own country to perform a coup so he can stay in power and take over power and get rid of the uh, restrictions. And so it's it's the parallel is very clear. So I guess in this situation. The Federation is Canada looking at us. Is what's Canada going to do about the insurrection? Yeah, right. The kind Condemn of like, it on the news, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. You guys sort it out, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, but obviously Niagara the, Falls is off limits. Niagara, yeah, stay out of Niagara Falls. Yeah. So I don't know. Like it's it's definitely tough, you know. And the the parallel continues with the Trump because then. Russia is the Cardassians mm -hmm. stirring up shit in our politics to weaken us. So for their own devices in ways that the people that they're exploiting don't even know that it's them. Right. Right. So the Cardassians supplying weapons to the circle, Jarl may or may not know, but the, the rank and file, the people they're fighting have no idea that it's the Cardassians in the same way that, you know, you have the Russian bots and you have the information to set the other thing. So the parallel is actually remarkably strong here. Um, and, and that's what I was saying. Like when I first saw this episode in 1993, I was like, huh, oh, interesting. I don't know if I care today. It's like, Oh God, that's scary <laughs> because like that's the, the parallels are just so clear. Um, anyway, so that wasn't quite a wormhole. It wasn't quite not a wormhole. It's just a continuing thought process as we uh, as we work through this so let's talk about our best moment for me and there's a lot of great stuff i mean what a what a strong episode performances structure tone pacing really i think they knock it out of the park here for me as has become kind of a little bit of a pattern it's the little personal moments yeah. um there's some great i mean you could really make a strong argument maybe you will for the kind of mo the frank langella kind of bad guy monologuing moments at the end, uh, him and uh, in the sort of like, and the villain framing at the very end. But I liked the couple of moments with Kira mm. and Ben. I like Ben uh, being a friend with her at the top. I like when Ben visits her on the island or on the, at the monastery. And I like when, when they rescue her and he has, they have that moment. I just, I, I think all of the little Ben Cisco leadership moments are my favorite moments in this episode. Um, mm. Cause he really has, I think, He's been very kind of passive in some ways. He's been assertive in other episodes, but I think now he's finally ascended to like peak. I, I don't know where we're headed, of course, but it feels to me like he's now grasped his leadership 
and that hit that his style is kind of like asserted and yeah. I'm like I'm team Ben all the way. And you know me, I was I was kind of wishy-washy at the top. You know, it's tough to take over from a from a Picard and like a Kurt, like those kinds of personalities. Right. Like how is this new captain going to do it? Quote unquote. Um how do you distinguish yourself? Yeah, and I think this episode he's he's fully ascended for me to like okay, he's the leader, he's the guy. What's Ben going to do? Yeah, I mean, I I would put it like he is not fully ascended, folks. Cisco has a what I would say is Cisco now has traction and his feet underneath him. Okay, in terms of the character, exciting, in terms man. of his leadership, uh, he's laced up his boots. He's got his pack. He's got his water. It's time to start climbing that mountain. Sweet, I'm That's on board. I'm on board. The way I feel about it. Um, yeah, I mean, the best moment for me. It's it's tough because like it's this isn't an episode about moments. This is a this is a, a huge story, this complex interwoven story of this coup happening and the stakes of it. So I it's strange. I, I actually I'm gonna give my favorite singular moment it to the uh to the drawing room farce in act one of like just every the the little comedic character beats that you have earned after a season of television you have these relationships established and it's fun and it's light and uh escalate escalating and felt um yeah i i just enjoyed it like you know is that the most important moment in the story of course not but uh i really did enjoy it so uh yeah so let's let's hand out some self-sealing stem bolts we've been talking about the episode as a whole for a while but uh let's let's keep talking um I, I don't know if we know it's a trilogy in the start of the episode. I mean, we you told me, but so I don't know if you knew watching. Um, is no, so it, you know this middle episode, it could go one of two ways, right? It could like, it could drag, um, and it could really kind of like get ma- maudlin and mundane, but it doesn't do that. Um, it's really it it moves the plot forward. It's. I think is stronger than the table setting first episode of yeah. the arc. Yeah. I think yeah. the performances are much stronger uh and really shows the range of the of the of the whole cast um because the stakes are much higher um politically as for, personally I think the bad guys who could be seen chewy play it so wonderfully two just wonderful actors that it feels grounded and the stakes never feel out of our reach, right? They always feel right there. I think they did a great job of kind of bringing them closer, uh, the the violence closer and closer. Um, I always feel like the, uh, you know, the only thing that feels a little hammy in both episodes is like having the the circle in the robes, like attacking people and stuff. That just seems so like, it, compared to the sort of global political ramifications of the coup attempt, it seems a little like, like. Well, but it, I, I I'll defend that with you. You look in in real life, right? Who are these people portraying? It's you know they're portraying the clan. There's, yeah, there's okay. Lots of like there's there's like Nazi references here, and a lot of that has to do with the theatrics. Yeah. Okay. I mean they're like, I mean nobody is more community theater than the clan. Yeah, that's fair. I'm like, look at me! I got my costumes. I'm fancy, you know. It's so. It's Jim, so like, is that you? Oh. You sound just like Jim. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know. Uh, I didn't think about my voice. Um, 
anyway, that that's besides the point. I, I it's just very strong. And it also, it has that comedy beat at the top. It's got an action sequence, which I think is effective. Yeah, I mean, some of the, how should Bashir have acted? Yeah, all that stuff I shake off because it doesn't affect the episode ultimately. Um, I, I think this writer, could we, could we quote the writer again? Uh, yes, indeed I can. It is, of course, Peter Allen Fields. Peter Allen and Fields. Colin Allen directed it. Are, are just my faves so far. I mean, duet and then this uh just just really knows the feels like really knows and understands the characters and really gets pacing episode never yeah. dragged it mm-hmm. had the personal be- slower beats when they needed them but then right back into like action or at least unraveling some of the spool of the um i thought the visual effects were incredible i thought the staging was incredible i thought the use of sets and grandeur the episode felt huge the word i would use is cine- cinematic it felt like yeah. it almost could have been sure. a movie um yep. looked great did not feel like a television episode to me felt it felt elevated and i'm like shit if if you're telling me that this is the direction we're going and it's going to get better i'm strapping in buddy because Dude, you have no idea then i'm telling you because this <laughs> this was like oh this is tv this gives me the vibes different but like around this time i'm watching i was watching a lot of quantum leap and what i loved yeah. what i loved about quantum leap was it's sort of cinematic slash theatrical storytelling. Um, much more campy in many ways than this, but um, but in some ways not. Anyway, I'm super psyched. I loved this episode. I'm giving it, I'm going to say, I think we were like 72 last week. I'm giving it, I'm going way up there. I'm saying 83.5 self-stealing, self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, in the context, that's that's lower than you've given a lot of episodes you've liked less. But uh, well, it's not. A, I mean, there's no period at the end of the sentence, right? It has that. That's true. It it, it it's we got it's got to stick to landing. So that's true. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, like if you're excited about this, like hold on to your hat, buddy. Yeah, dude, I'm not wearing one today, but okay. Um, and and. More specifically than this episode, this type of story, mm. right? These bigger political high stakes, um, putting your characters in difficult positions, um, you know, both from a from a practical or moral standpoint, which is very like Star Trek, right? You know, how, what's the better decision to make? But you attach life and death of like planets stakes to it and not a planet of the week right right that we've come across that it is a we know this planet we know this society we care about these people and then this becomes very very high stakes and you have uh so yeah wow man i'm i'm so excited to get into um what is going to be essentially the rest of the series arc um, but this is this is setting the table for a lot of that. This is you know this is this is we, we talk about last episode being a table setting episode. This arc is a table setting episode for what will become the series arc, mm-hmm. um, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, what you said about this episode moving the plot forward in a way that the the pacing, right? Last episode. It moved it forward a little bit, but the pacing was way slow. We, in terms of the story, we told the first 
5% of the story in the first episode. And we just told like 60% in this episode. And I think um, I would have, I wished that the first episode were able to keep the plot pacing up a little bit. And we, you know, we, and we talked about this, you know, either, either slow it down and make the whole rescue or give us more of this plot. Mm -hmm. Because uh, once we got here, Lee Dallas isn't really that important anymore. At least as in this episode, we did the whole episode setting up Lee Nullis, and then like he's not really important. He's just sort of there for this episode. Um, obviously, we have more to go, but uh, that was that. Uh, and uh, you talk about the performances of our villains, um, and I think you know, them not being seen chewy. It comes down to restraint. Mm -hmm. You you watch that you watch that scene with Louise Fletcher and uh, and Jaro. They almost never even move, and and they're both amazing at this. But particularly Louise Fletcher, everything she does is look at the mic close. Everything she does is right here. I'm just going to be talking calmly and reasonably. And if you're shouting, really, maybe you're being unreasonable with a little bit of a smirk, a little bit of a smile, but deniability in my evil at all times. And it is so good because of the restraint and uh it's just that's where you get these amazing performances so also subtle juxtapositions their yeah. behavior with each other is very politically transactional obviously very yeah well, who else do we know that's transactional quark although let's now that we're writing since we have a transactional villain relationship let's show quark being kind of helpful and it's maybe transactional in that he wants uh maybe he's sort of extorted yeah but, but at the same time he also wants, doesn't want this crap to come back and, and ruin all everything he's got. So we kind of learn subtly, passively, about Quark a little bit more. And so they use him great in this episode. Bashir, maybe we see some, you know, like, they just, we, that's what I was talking about, the writing. They utilize the cast very well and very smartly with cohesion as, a, as, a, yeah. as an ensemble as well, which is really just great. Well, and and in terms of that, like, uh, transaction, I... The, the the idea that I had while you were talking was the difference between uh, Odo and Quark and Wynn and Jaro is Wynn and Jaro pretend that they care, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Quark and Odo pretend that they don't care, but they do. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference between your heroes and villains. Um, and it's well, a really... It's it's such a cool such a cool way of doing that. So I am going to give this episode eighty nine self sealing stem bolts. Oh, that's a I good average. That's a good average. I think it's very very strong. Um, and uh, again, when you put it in context of what's coming later, it is very important and fun for the finale. You know what? I'm happy without. I'd like to see them. What I would like to see for the finale okay. of this arc is. Be smarter than making it a lot of battles. Let's. I want this solved nonviolently. I want to see. I want to see like really smart, good guying. You know what I mean? Like I want to see it handled that way. I also want to learn more about the Cardassian sort of plot because I love that they've kept their sort of, uh, especially with Goldicott, like they have a tepid uh, friendship or at least an agreement and. He was very much, oh, we're releasing the prisoners. We didn't know, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, 
so now let's let's dive in a little bit more. Now that we know that there's some BS happening on the other side, I want to learn more about that story. We've gotten some good slivers in the first two episodes of what their whole uh, right. part in this is, but now let's. I want more of it. Like let's let's go. It's time. What is Russia's larger plan? Yeah, look, let's get in there. I want to because it's interesting, and they have you know we've you know they're generally pretty excellent. Um, at bad guying. So now let's get let's get all the cards on the table from all sides and let's go for it. I have high expectations for this next episode. I'm excited. Okay. Well, up next is the siege. It's uh, it's gonna be exciting. So uh, that we will see you next week to discuss the siege here on Deep Space Nine. We thank our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM. Uh, you can join them and get fun stuff. You can watch Mike watch the siege. You don't want to miss that. But uh, till the, oh, there we are. There are our patrons. They're way too big. Our patrons are huge. They are though, in our hearts and in our minds. They are indeed. So, uh, yeah, while we're there, check out our other show about Star Trek toys. Uh, lots of fun stuff happening there. Look Give us a like. Star Trek toys. There it is. Give us a like and a subscribe. We very much appreciate it. Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on this. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM. <laughs>